Welcome to the Way of the Bible podcast, inspiring and empowering Christians of all measures of faith to simply believe God and follow Jesus. Join in with our host, Bible teacher and guide, Dr. Philip Zimmerman, as he explores the paths through Scripture that lead to life in the will of God, being joyful always, praying continually, and being thankful in all circumstances, simply by believing God and following Jesus. And now, Dr. Z. Welcome again. This is Dr. Philip Zimmerman, Dr. Z. (laughs) And you join me for episode number 121 of Way of the Bible podcast. So glad to have you with me today. This is our first of eight episodes in our 16th mini-series entitled The Obedience of Faith. On this episode, we're going to explore the topic of obedience and determine if it is optional for the born-again believer. On future episodes within this mini-series, we'll look at the multifaceted ways obedience manifests itself based upon graces and faith given to individuals according to the measure of God's provision. Before we get started in our text for today, it is best for us to back up and look at what we learned in our last mini-series as our faith is built upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. We'll begin by using the following three key scriptures. First one is Hebrews chapter 5, verses 8-9. to Although he, that was Jesus, was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. The second passage comes out of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And finally the third verse, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 11 to 14. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Jesus the man was made perfect because of his obedience to God and death on the cross. Paul explains the significance of this obedience in Philippians chapter 2 verses 5 to 11. Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is the second Adam, or the new man, that God has exalted in heaven to sit at his right hand. And God made Jesus Lord of both the heavens and the earth. The subjects of the dominion of Jesus Christ either obey him or rebel against him. (laughs) That's what we're going to get into today. Hebrews chapter 5, 9 tells us that Jesus became the source of eternal salvation or a salvation that will never end to all who obey him. That eternal salvation is possible when we believe in Jesus and have a rebirth by the Spirit into new life. Our old life is gone and our new life has come. In our new life, Paul told us in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that Jesus made it possible for us to become the righteousness of God. Not only do we become the righteousness of God, Hebrews 10.14 tells us he, that's Jesus, has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. We were made perfect. We are perfect and we will always be perfect those who are being sanctified. 
And that sanctification is in the truth by the Father through the Spirit, and God's Word is truth. It comes out of John chapter 17, verse 17. Sanctification in the Word by the Spirit pushes us all toward maturity in Christ, as Paul described in Ephesians chapter 4.13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Paul had explained why God was sanctifying us in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, we introduced this topic of obedience throughout our previous mini-series, anchored in the Luke account of Jesus' parable of the sower found in Luke chapter 8, verses 4 to 21. We paid particular attention to Luke chapter 8, verse 18. Take care, then, how you hear. For the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. And we'll see later in this episode, in another parable, Jesus will use those words again. Now, all that is an introduction. Let's start our investigation of obedience is not optional. Let's first listen to Jesus out of Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 27. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. In this parable from his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus emphasized that there's only two things that are happening, either hearing the word of God and doing, or hearing the word of God and not doing. The house built on hearing and doing was founded on the rock and did not fall. The house built on hearing and not doing was built on the sand and fell with a mighty crash. I was taught faith by grace plus nothing. (laughs) Many, if not most, in Christendom have been taught that nothing means having to do nothing after salvation. You know, others go so far as to say doing anything is heretical. That'd be a works-based salvation that gets you nothing. (laughs) But that's not what the Bible says. Let's look first at what Jesus said in John chapter 14, verses 22 to 24. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. So the one who loves Jesus is to keep, or to guard, or to reserve something, his words. Listen to how Jesus described the fourth soil in his parable of the sower out of Luke chapter 8, verse 15. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast, in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. Here's that idea of holding or keeping it fast. Remember, because it says in verse 24 of John 14, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And Jesus in the parable of the sower in Luke 15, again, as for that, that in good soil, they are those who hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. So hearing and doing is for bearing fruit with patience. James puts it most succinctly in James chapter 1, verses 22 to 25. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. 
For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. And of course, this doing is doing in obedience to the truth, the words of Jesus, the words of God, the logos, the word of God, the scriptures, obedience to all that. We won't go beyond this for now, but to say, if you do not believe the word of God, the scriptures which talk about Jesus, you've got bigger problems than doing. (laughs) Jesus explains this just before he told the parable of building on the rock and building on the sand out of Matthew chapter 7. So Matthew chapter 7, 21, 23 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now let's go back to Ephesians chapter 2.10 and see again what it says. It says, for we are his workmanship, that's God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Paul bookends his treatise on the Christian faith, that's the book of Romans, with these two complementary verses. The first one comes out of Romans chapter 1, verse 5. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. So Paul was saying they received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. And then at the end of the book, he again repeats this in Romans chapter 16, verse 26. But has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. There is to be an obedience associated with faith clearly in the scripture. Peter similarly mentioned the primacy of obedience in his first letter right at the beginning. It comes out of 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. So again, here's this obedience to Jesus. Peter also mentions this obedience near the end of his first letter in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 17 and 19. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. We are to obey and do good. Paul speaks of obedience and doing good as gifts of God's grace in Romans chapter 12, verses 3 to 8. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. The one who teaches, in his teaching. The one who exhorts, in his exhortation. The one who contributes, in generosity. The one who leads, with zeal. 
the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. As believers and members of Christ's body, let's look at the types of works Paul identifies that are done by God's grace acting through us. Prophecy, service, teaching, exhorting, contributing, leading, and acts of mercy. This is not an exhaustive listing, but it does highlight that our obedience in doing good works is according to God's grace given to us in, in proportion to our faith. As new believers, we likely did very little as our faith was small, even though we could move a mountain with such small faith. But as we mature through sanctification, our faith grows, and in proportion, God's grace given for good works also grows. I just encourage us all, brothers and sisters, that we surrender in obedience to the Spirit and do what God says in His Word, and trust God to do the improbable, the impossible, the far beyond our imagination in good works. Just before his arrest and execution, Jesus loaded his disciples down with kingdom parables. (laughs) Spoken in the open to the crowds, Jesus in these parables again and again stresses hearing and obedience. I pray you listen and hear as the Holy Spirit provides you insights well beyond my simple observations. The first parable is of the two sons. It comes out of Matthew chapter 21, verses 28 to 32. What do you think? A man had two sons, and he went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did the will of the father? They said, the first. Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. In this parable are two examples. The first is used in the second. The obedient son was the one who went and worked in the vineyard, even though he initially said he wasn't. I think I've illustrated enough already of Jesus' expectation that your response to your salvation is to be reflected in obedience to Jesus' words. Do not be like the farmer's son who said he would go to work in the vineyard but did not. The tax collectors and the prostitutes went out to John the Baptist. They heard what he said. They repented of their sins and were baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. The religious elite did not humble themselves and receive the free gift of forgiveness by faith that was being offered by John the Baptist. Let us not be like that. Let us be obedient. Jesus then tells the parable of the wedding feast in Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 to 14. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their cities. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all of whom they found, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came to look in at the guest, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, How did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. 
Now, in this parable, Jesus foretold how the Jews had in the past and were going to, at this time, reject him as their redeemer. And as a result, God used the Romans to destroy Jerusalem, kill the murderers, and burn the city in 70 A.D. God then invited everyone into the wedding banquet by grace through faith. And, of course, with that is a garment given by the banquet host. That would be the, our garment of righteousness. We get the righteousness of Christ. There was one at the banquet who had not gotten in by the obedience of faith and therefore had not received the wedding garment from the host. And that would be what was the wedding garment, the righteousness of God or the righteousness of Christ on us. That one was cast out into the utter darkness. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus warns his hearers in the parable of the talents of receiving property from the master with the expectation of producing more according to ability. In this parable, one was given 10 talents and made 10 more, and another was given five talents and made five more. Both returned the talents and the earnings to the master when he returned. To both servants, the master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Now, the third servant was given one talent. (laughs) We'll read about him in Matthew chapter 25, verses 24 to 30. This is how the servant who had received one talent responded when the master returned. Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scatter no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, I'd said earlier when we reviewed the Luke 8, 18 passage, there was another one coming, and this was it, because in verse 28, he says, Take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents, for to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And of course, we saw in Luke eight eighteen, Take care then how you hear, for to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not even what he thinks he has will be taken away. The parable of the sower was reflecting hearing and doing. And the parable of the talents was giving with the expectation of something being done in accordance with the amount of faith and the provision of God's grace given to the person. That it would then say, for to everyone who has more will be given and he will have an abundance. So there's an expectation that whatever God has given us in our lives, we are to produce but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Peter warns his readers in the opening of his second letter about having a faith that is in vain. It does you no good. comes out of 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. What do you mean, confirm your calling and election? <laughs> is there any question there? Yes, there's a question there. To get what the therefore is therefore, you need to go all the way back to Second Peter chapter 2, verses 3 to 9. His divine power is granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, 
having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. So with all this, I hope that you're beginning to see that there's an expectation for obedience that is given in the scriptures. And again, we'll cover what this obedience looks like in detail on future episodes. But a summary of what it is to obey is found in Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 to 40. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. We'll see as we go forward that obedience originates and terminates in love, without ever leaving the stream of love emanating from God our Father. Thus the need of sanctification to make us capable of containing and dispensing the agape love of God in all humility and submission to Christ and to His Spirit. Jesus was not a mere afterthought of God for bringing about obedience, but seen crucified since before the foundation of the world. As to hearing and obeying, Moses spoke of this in Deuteronomy chapter 18, 15-19. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire anymore lest I die. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words, that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. And of course, that prophet coming was none other than Jesus Christ himself. And with that, we complete our introductory episode on our mini-series, The Obedience of Faith. I hope you've heard, as I've heard, the clear message from Scripture that the obedience of faith for believers is not optional. I can't speak of those who do good works apart from faith except to say in regards to salvation, they work in vain. Join us on our next episode when we'll go into more details of what it looks like to have obedience of faith. Until then, thank you for listening. Subscribe, follow, rate, and review the show. Show notes and other resources are found on my website, waythebible.com. Join me on the path. Write me a note. I would love to hear from you. And let me end this episode as I end all episodes by saying simply believe God and follow Jesus. Live as a child of light overflowing with living water in the will of God, being joyful always, praying continually, and thankful in all circumstances. Be blessed, my brothers and sisters. 
We hope this episode of Way of the Bible has you feeling inspired and empowered to simply believe God and follow Jesus. Remember to search the scriptures to confirm what you've heard today. And join us next episode as we continue to discover together the treasures of wisdom and knowledge hidden in Christ and be transformed daily by the renewing of your mind. Knowing God's will for you is a life filled with joy, prayer, and thanksgiving. Be blessed.